of our study and walk through the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew in a month. We are landing at Matthew 15 this morning, which means we are officially halfway through this amazing Gospel, and we are making the turn right now into the second part of the book. Here we have Jesus' showdown with the Pharisees, and this is a kind of a pivotal demarcation point because it begins this, um, this year of increasing opposition to Jesus's ministry um, on the part of the religious leaders, which ultimately results in his crucifixion. But before we go down that road, let's go before the Lord and ask him to bless our time in Matthew 15. Heavenly Father, help us to see ourselves in this text this morning so easy to cast aspersions and think of ourselves as very different than the Pharisees when in reality we're probably the the people in this story that we are probably closest to as contemporaries would would be them and so Lord we want to heed your warnings from your word we want to 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 not be blind to the truths of your word to us, and we're praying for your help. This morning, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so it's gonna, in order for this chapter to make sense to us and to fully understand what's happening, um, we need to give some background as to how we have found ourselves here historically related to the scribes and the Pharisees. We, we typically think about the scribes and the Pharisees as uh, the legalists, the goody-goodies, the hypocrites, the whitewashed tombs, the um, the people who, you know, didn't do what they preached, who tied heavy burdens around people's necks, who were interested in in people's uh, perceptions more than they were of God's perceptions of them, and, and and all that is true. But we need to understand that's not the way it began. That's not how it um, originally um, started with this sect. Of people that we know as the Pharisees, we have to go all the way back to the exile when 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 um, Israel returned from their exile in Babylon to Jerusalem, and returning. Remember, they're, they're, they did not have a king; they were still in occupied territory. Um, they did not have any prophets. Um, what they had was the Old Testament scriptures and this messianic expectation that the Messiah was going to come back one day and, and hopefully soon. And so kind of out of this void of, of leadership arose this sect called the Pharisees. And these were, at the very beginning, those men who were um, super committed to preserving the Jewish religion, the Jewish worship. Um, they wanted to preserve the scriptures. Um, they were kind of like the stewards of Gondor, so to speak, who were awaiting the return of the king. They were the good guys. Um, they were the they were the Old Testament teachers who were there to interpret God. They were, in our modern day language, pastors, um, evangelical leaders, those who were entrusted with this stewardship. They were awaiting the return of the Messiah. And it was their job to faithfully lead the people, to be an example to them, to hold up the, the tradition of the scriptures and to be their teachers in the synagogues. And, 
Remember, there was no, the temple had been destroyed. There was no worship. Uh, the second temple had not been rebuilt yet. That wasn't going to happen until about 50 years or so prior to when Jesus comes on the scene. And so, and so these, in every sense of the term, were the ones that we would look to to say they are our leaders, they are our pastors. And, and so what began, that's where things began. It's not where they ended. Because over this 400-year period, what would happen is that these Pharisees, scribes, would be the teachers uh, of the Old Testament law. They would interpret, they would lead the people, and they begin to write their thoughts down in what we would kind of probably call commentaries, what they called the Helica, which is essentially um, a book of all the different interpretations of the Old Testament law. It wasn't part of Scripture um, to begin with, it was just like a commentary. And this, of course, developed into what we know, know later as the Midrash, which is that volume of teaching which um, extrapolates and expands upon the Old Testament scriptures. But what began to happen over time was that this Helica, this Midrash, came to be equally authoritative with the Old Testament. Um, and even um, more so at different points in time. So, so in other words, um, the, the, there's the scriptures and then there's the traditions of the elders or the scribes that Jesus often refers to. And that's what, he, and that's what he's referring to here in this passage. Okay? And this is all really important because this Midrash, this Helica, while it was important, it had come to supersede the Old Testament scriptures, um, supersede Old Testament law. It added on to them, and this kind of became part of the corpus of teaching that the scribes would lead the people through. And so, so understanding that helps us to understand uh, Matthew 15, 1. It says, Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. So, so this tradition that they're talking about is this helica, is this, is this interpretation of Old Testament scriptures. Um, and one of these interpretations was you have to ceremonially be clean before you eat. You have to wash your hands, and which is always a good idea in, in the COVID era. But you get what I'm you get where I'm coming. But but understand something. This was not in the original Old Testament scriptures. You can't find it there. This was an interpretation of a principle they found in the Old Testament. And then Jesus responds to them. And apparently Jesus' disciples weren't abiding by this tradition. And so Jesus, in verse three, he answered them. And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? So there we go. The commandment of God, the Old Testament scripture, the tradition of the scribes and Pharisees. And Jesus is making an accusation. He's saying, um, you hold up your own interpretation and tradition higher than the scripture themselves. And he, and he talk, begin, goes on to talk about this tradition that the elders had, or the Pharisees had, of something called Korban. Okay, and, let me, and Luke details this a little bit more. But let me explain first. Let's go back to the text and let's look at what was happening. So Jesus says, For God commanded, and this is obviously in Deuteronomy 6, Exodus 20, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. And so, so Jesus is going directly to the Old Testament. He's saying it's very clear. Honor your father and mother. Provide for them. Care for them. Um, they've cared for you. Now you care for them. Um, and that's a super clear teaching from Scripture. And you would think, okay, 
Pharisees wanting to obey God would go right to it, that, that crystal clear. They would be obedient to this, but they weren't, okay? Because look what was happening in verse 5. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So and that, that practice was called Corban, and here's how it basically worked. Is that, let's say that um, you owned a piece of property, or you owned, uh, or you had a large checking banking account um, at the time, or a lot of gold on hand, and your parents were in need. Okay, uh, maybe you had an extra house, maybe you had an extra guest room. Your parents were in need, and it was your responsibility, according to Old Testament law, to provide for them. Yes, I'm going to share my home with you. I'm going to, I'm going to help you financially. But the way the Pharisees got around this was that they enacted a tradition from their teaching called Korban. And what Korban was, is you would basically say, um, if something was Korban, it means it was set apart for use to the Lord. So what they would say is, well, I'm not going to give this money to my uh, parents to help them. I'm going to pronounce it Korban. It's sort of off limits. It's set apart to God for use of however he wants me to use it. It's dedicated to him. Now, you can see what a farce this was, right? So what this practically meant was that they were able to get around the very clear teachings of the Old Testament okay, and to keep their money, ostensibly because it was Corbin, but really it just remained in their possession, right? And it was a way for them to get around the law because we know they were lovers of money. And this is what Jesus is calling them on. He's saying... Um, Look down in verse 7, you hypocrites, okay? Or actually, go back to verse 6. He says, so for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. He quotes from Isaiah there in those verses. And you can see the issue right up front, right? That, that in an effort to justify their own life and their own hypocrisy and in their own greed and their own hearts, their desire to be important, to be wealthy, to be seen by men, they were putting aside the clear, clear commandments of God uh, for the sake of their tradition. In other words, they were just using a workaround. And, and Jesus calls them on it and says, you're, you're talking to me about my disciples washing their hands. And maybe they did need to wash their hands. I don't know. But, but that's not even in the Old Testament. And, and you're going to send scribes and Pharisees from Jerusalem to confront me about my false teaching? You hypocrites. You're just, you don't care about the word of God. You just care about your power and authority and looking good. And that's essentially what has happened here, okay? And so then Jesus goes on in verse 10 to give an exposition to the disciples to help them understand it's not what one does outwardly that makes one clean or unclean. It's what's happening inwardly, all right? And he uses this example, look down in verse 10, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. And he's talking about the, pro the, the digestive process, right? Eating and human waste, and he's saying it's not the food that's that's unclean, it's what comes out of the body that's unclean. And then, then he says, look at verse 17. Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? And then he's going to make a parallel. 
He says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands do not defile anyone. And so in other words, Jesus is pointing us to this reality. We have to be reminded over and over and over again that the biggest problem we have is not what's happening out there, okay? Although what's happening out there is important in its own context. The things that make us unclean, the things that um, are our biggest problem is what resides in our human heart, right? And this is why um, to, to say, you know, we can, if we just shield ourselves from everything that's happening out here, and we do need to use discernment in media and what we do and internet and all those things, um, then, then, then we're going to be okay. That's what the Pharisees did. But Jesus says, no, no, you've got a more fundamental problem, person. Christian, whoever is reading this, hearing this story, the problem is what's going on in your soul. The problem is that you have corruption in your heart. Your, your, your eyes are not open to the, the glories of the gospel and the glory of God. And so thus, that will contaminate everything. Obviously, if our hearts could be made clean by what we did outwardly, externally, then the Pharisees would have the cleanest of all hearts but they didn't. And this points to this reality that Jesus, Matthew is showing us, Jesus is showing us, that the greatest transformation that we need comes internally from the inside out, to have the eyes of our hearts open, to have our hearts transformed. And that's why Jesus repeatedly says, I have not come for the well, I have come for the sick. Those who are well don't believe they have a need for the doctor. But those who sick do know they need. And, and it's the same thing with his interaction with, with his disciples, the crowds, Pharisees, the sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes. Those who came to him in a posture of submission were those who knew they were unclean on the inside. And just such a great reminder for us, um, is it not, that the heart of the Christian faith, the heart of the Christian faith is... The heart Jesus has to make the heart of the believer clean and pure. And that only can happen by something outside of us, which is, of course, the death, burial, resurrection, ascension of Jesus on our behalf. And to make our heart clean, to change us from the inside out. And it's such, such a basic Christianity 101, Gospel 101 principle, but yet we never get past it, do we, church? It's always relevant. It's always pertinent. We always have to come back to it and say, God, you are going to have to, um, to do your transformative work from the inside out. I can't, I can't make myself clean on the outside. I have a problem on the inside. And so, Lord, would your spirit, through your word, make me more like you? And that's where Jesus is pointing us to in Matthew 15. Okay, the next time we're together is actually not going to be Monday. That's Memorial Day. Enjoy your long weekend. Um, we're going to be back together Tuesday. And I, I'm not even sure what the date is. That's Tuesday next week, Matthew 16. So you've got a, three days. Catch up on your reading. Catch up on your dwell app. Um, Matthew 16 is when Jesus has his um, massive confession about who Jesus really is. And that's where we're going to be Tuesday, next Tuesday, 
at 8 a.m. sharp. Enjoy your Memorial Day weekend. Make sure to tune in live to our live stream uh, this Sunday morning. Have a great weekend. God bless. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we commit to you um, our paths and our way. Lord, we know we have nothing to offer you except the very righteousness of Christ himself. And so, Lord, we pray now that you would go before us today. Make us clean on the inside through Jesus. Amen.